following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, or wild parties, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. All right, we'll stop right there. Um, in, these, in these verses here, Paul uses several word pictures to describe a way of life that is directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he basically uses four different phrases that describe really the same thing. And he says... Uh, we're commanded to walk by the Spirit in verse 16. Then he says, we're to be led by the Spirit in verse 18. And then finally in verse 25, he uses two more phrases. He says, living by the Spirit and keeping step with the Spirit. And, and in general, these are all describing the same thing. There are some subtle differences. But uh, essentially, he's talking about doing life uh, by the direction and enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but uh, as I have talked to people and actually looked at my own life, trying to understand this concept of walking or specifically being led by the Spirit, um, when you think about that, what, it, what is that picture to you, being led by the Spirit? Um, I think uh, oftentimes the way I think about this and the way I practice it is I envision God to be, or the Holy Spirit to be some kind of like holy Google Maps. And what it means is, you know, I'm kind of going through my life, doing my own thing, and every once in a while I come to these major crossroads where I have to make some kind of decision. And, you know, there's those big decisions that you just don't want to mess up, like, like you know, who you marry, what house you buy, what college you go to. And we kind of view these as, like, really life-changing things. And if I get this one wrong, you know, maybe it'll, you know, kind of this domino effect, and my whole life will be shipwrecked because I made a wrong turn. So we feel like, I need, I need help with this. So I read somewhere that the Holy Spirit is supposed to lead me, so God, you know, please be my holy Google Maps. And, you know, show me which of these big major life decisions is your will. Right? And so that's kind of how we view this. Um, I, when, one day I was talking to a lady when we lived back in Colorado, and um, she shared with me and really kind of lived out this, this idea of holy Google Maps in a dramatic way. She had been living in Texas, and she felt that the Holy Spirit had told her to sell her house and, and everything she owned, quit her job, and move from Texas to Colorado, and God would make her rich there. Uh, now, uh, now, part of what I think the Holy Spirit told her would make sense, because anytime you can leave Texas, I think that's a God thing. <laughs> I knew that would get Darren riled up. <laughs> Yeah, so, but, but, you know, there's some issues with her thinking here, right? And, um, and sadly, she was very di- disappointed because after being in Colorado uh, for, for many years, she, she was not 
better off. She was financially uh, struggling financially. Was, she was struggling in her life. She had problems. And um, it didn't work out the way she thought it would. So the question is, you know, did she not hear the Holy Spirit correctly? Uh, did the Holy Spirit lie to her? It's like, ha, showed you. Uh, it's just a trick, right? Or did she greatly misunderstand what it means to be led by the Spirit? Well, obviously, I think the latter. Right? I think she, she, was, um, she was viewing the Holy Spirit as some kind of spiritual GPS, some kind of holy Google Maps that would direct her. But she, uh, uh, she didn't really understand what Paul meant when he uses this phrase. And unfortunately, I think oftentimes we, we gloss over these verses and we don't understand the deep significance this has for how to live all of Christi- our Christian life. What it really means to walk by the Spirit. And of course, the problem is that oftentimes we like to take these phrases and pull them out of their context uh, and see what they really mean as, as Paul wrote these words. And we want to make them mean something different. So in order to really understand this concept to walk by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit, we need to look at the context of what Paul's talking about in the book of Galatians. Um, and so, and I'm sorry I don't have um, an outline. The, the, don't, don't use the slides because they're from last week and they won't make any sense. Well, they might make sense actually at some level, but um, yeah, the slides don't work, so sorry. Um, but the first, the first slide, if I had one, would say this. It would say the flesh, the law, and freedom. Okay, the flesh, the law, and freedom. And these are really big themes that Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians that help us understand and give the backdrop for this concept of being led by the Spirit. So that's why we need to start in verse 13, which seems to not really talk about the, the walk in the Spirit. But we need to start there because it gives us the, the backdrop. So again, let me uh, look at verse 13. He says, You were called to freedom. Right, so the context of this is, is Paul's talking about some kind of something about freedom. He said, uh, "But uh, you are not to use this freedom to indulge or to gratify the flesh." Um, so, so what does Paul mean by freedom and and, and the flesh and, and the law? And he says here that, that you have actually been set free from the law and from the flesh. But what does he mean by this? What is this talking about? Well, let's first look at this concept, this idea of the law and, and the flesh. We're going to look at these two things side by side. Um, and these are really describing, as Paul's using them here, he's talking about two, kind, two basically lifestyles. Okay, a lifestyle in the f- flesh or a lifestyle under the law. Uh, and Jesus really helps us out with understanding this because he paints this great picture in a parable in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, in Luke, about the prodigal son. And he really describes there beautifully these two lifestyles, the lifestyle of the prodigal, the younger brother, and the lifestyle of the older brother who was clearly portraying a person living out the law, right? And if you remember that, we're not going to look at the parable, uh, but, but we know the story, right? And the, uh, the first son, the, el- the younger son, not the first, the, the younger son, the prodigal, was clearly living a life of flesh, right? And the life of the flesh is a life that's all about living for me. It's all about uh, getting what I want and satisfying the desires of my flesh, the desires of my cravings, my lusts and wants, without any real limitations or restrictions. And we all know the story. He, as a young man, went to his dad and says, Dad, I, I, I can't wait for you to die you know, life is passing me by. I want you to give me my inheritance now so I can go live it up. Right? So I can go pursue what I believe will bring me joy and happiness. And that is a life of pleasure and of sin and of living for myself. Right? So there's nothing cloaked about this guy. He is all out just selfish and self-centered. Um, and he believes that this is going to make him happy. Um, and so he does that, and he goes out and says he lives his life of wanting pleasure. <laughs> Until, of course, the money ran, runs out, and then things kind of go downhill for, for him from there. Um, uh, but then there's the older brother, right? And the older brother is, is the law-abiding citizen. He's respectful. He's a good son. He works hard. He stays at home. He works on the farm. He does what is expected of him. He keeps all the rules. He is a law 
law-abiding citizen. So for him, this is his lifestyle, right? For the prodigal, he has a certain kind of lifestyle of carousing, of drinking, of girls, of fun, of pleasure. The older brother has a very different lifestyle. Uh, you know, he gets up early, he works hard, he doesn't party. In fact, as it, as it turns out at the end of the story, he doesn't even have fun. <laughs> He's just very serious, right? Um, and that's his lifestyle. Um, and for both of these brothers, their lifestyles uh, come out of their worldview or philosophy about what will bring them joy and meaning and fulfillment in life. Uh, they built this worldview that life will, will be meaningful, I'll find joy, I'll be content and happy as a person according to this belief system that they built. The younger son um, really honestly believes that this is a path to joy and happiness. And it works for a little while at some level, right? He has a lot of fun. Um, problem is he wasn't really like good at long-range planning. And it's not long before the money runs out and the fun runs out and, and the, the good times end, right? And he finds himself in a pig pen and not exactly what he envisioned. And the reality is that most people in the world, uh, in civilized society, we recognize that, that there, there are shortfalls to this kind of lifestyle. And there are a few, you know, Hugh Hefner's, who I'm sure is really rethinking his, his whole philosophy of life about now, um, who, who live out this hedonistic, selfish, indulging, in, indulgent lifestyle. But most people realize that, that uh, for, it's not sustaining, right? That you do run out of money, that the joy is fleeting and short. And so um, a, a viable option for many people is a moral lifestyle, and in the moral lifestyle, we realize that there are greater rewards for waiting, right? That there are rewards for working hard and getting a good, reliable job and going to college so you can even get a better job. And that there are rewards for being somewhat self-disciplined and self-controlled and being a productive part of the social order. Uh, that, that there's respect that comes with being, you know, a good law-abiding citizen. Um, and, and so... We, we, we realize that there are good rewards for good behavior. And, of course, this is the kid in school who's the teacher's pet, right? Who learns that, you know, if you, if you do, if you comply, you get to be, you know, called first when you raise your hand and get to go to recess and stuff like that. And it kind of builds on that. And so we, we realize that this is a good way to live. And so most of us, have probably especially church-going people, have kind of adopted this lifestyle, right? We, we fall in better with the older brother, Although some of you may have come from a background where you were saved from a prodigal lifestyle. But chances are most of us really were saved out of a very elder brother lifestyle where we were good, moral, law-abiding people. Um, and so the point I'm trying to make here is that when Paul is talking about the flesh and the, and the law, he's describing these two lifestyles, right? two ways of living life and pursuing the goals of, of happiness and joy and self-fulfillment in life. Uh, and then he has one more concept he throws in here is the idea of freedom. So he talks about the flesh, he talks about the law, and he talks about freedom. Um, and the whole book of Galatians uh, is really making the point that Jesus' death on the cross was for the purpose of setting us free from both of these lifestyles. Okay? That's what the point of the book of Galatians is about. Jesus died to set us free free, to give us freedom. And so he says in verse 13, um, you know, because of this, you're free. You have freedom. And when he, when he says that, he's talking about freedom from the flesh and freedom from the lifestyle of the law. Now, if you're like me, that just, that just kind of freaks me out. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. What does it mean we're being free from the lifestyle of the law? Um, first of all, freedom uh, in the Bible, we need to distinguish from freedom in our modern thinking. Uh, for most people in the modern world, freedom means I have the, the capacity, the ability, the freedom to do whatever I want. Right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm free to pursue whatever interest and do whatever I want. And so we, we read it with that understanding. We'll misunderstand what Paul's saying here. Because he's not saying, Jesus saved you so you can go up and do whatever you want. Okay, that's essentially reinforcing a prodigal lifestyle. And Jesus is not saying that. Neither is Paul. Right? In the Bible, freedom always implies that you have been captured and enslaved by something or someone. And so we saw that in the book of 
Exodus, the Israelites were held in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were not free because they were captive as slaves. They weren't free to go worship God as they wanted. They were not free to leave Egypt. They weren't free to choose uh, to, to go to the promised land. They were captive. And so they needed to be rescued uh, and be set free. Right? Not free to go do whatever they want, but to free to be out from underneath an oppressive ruler to pursue God's purpose and will in their life. And so that's the way Paul uses the term here. To, be, uh, to find freedom is to be set free from the bondage of sin. Right? Flesh is a cruel taskmaster that enslaves us. And most of us understand this. We know that if we give way to our sinful cravings and desires, it will lead to addictions. That's at the root of every kind of addictive behavior is my flesh is out of control and it's uh, actually in control of me. And I can't make my own choices. I am a slave to its impulses and its demands. And I can't stop doing the things that it demands of me. And, and, and Paul says that Jesus died to break the power of sin, of our flesh, over so that we would be free from its control. But what about the law? Right? Are we really supposed to be free from the law? Um, didn't God give the law of Moses to the people of Israel? Uh, doesn't Jesus himself uphold the law of Moses as a good thing? Uh, aren't we supposed to keep the law? Right? Now, if I had to take a vote right now, how many of you say we should keep the law? This would be a trick question, right? Because you're like, ah, I'm not sure how I would answer that, right? Um, I think I'm supposed to keep the law, but here, Paul's saying, I'm set free from the law. Um, well, here's the problem. The law is also a bondage. It's a good thing. It came from God. God gave it to Moses for Israel. Jesus does uphold the law. But it is also a bondage because of the flesh. Uh, and we in the flesh have turned the law into something that is just as self-serving in the flesh as the lifestyle of the prodigal. Right? Uh, because we were born in sin, we cannot help but live a lifestyle in the flesh. And that's the, that's the thing. Both the prodigal son and the elder brother really are living in the flesh. It's just that one is more respectable, right? One is wanton and out there and un unhindered, and we know that's wrong. But the other one is also just as much a life in the flesh. And the reason is because it's centered on me. Okay, the elder brother was not doing the right things out of his love for the father, and certainly not out of his love for his little brother. Right? When his brother comes back and gets all this grace and gets a party and gets the ring, how does the older brother feel about it? Yay, I'm so glad my brother's back because I love my brother, right? No, he's angry. He says, Dad, what are you doing giving stuff to my brother? He's a jerk. Don't you know he's, he ripped us off? He's angry, right? Why is he angry? Because it's all about him. He says, where's my goat? Where's my party? I, and then this is his words, he says, I have labored for you all these years and you haven't even given me a single goat. So I can have a party with my friends. You see, you see through the motives of his heart. Why is he being a good person? Because he's selfish, right? He wants it for himself. He believes that by being a good person, he can manipulate his father. He, he can earn, he can be owed something for himself. In the end, he has no more respect for his father than his younger brother. And he certainly has no more love. And he is just as selfish. You see, that's the problem with keeping the law. You can keep the law in a way that is totally self-centered. Right? I keep the law because it makes me look good. I keep the law because I believe I can manipulate God to give me stuff. Uh, it, in the end, it's just as self-serving and greedy as a lifestyle of, of blatant living in the flesh. And so that's why Paul says in verse 13, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love. Okay. He, he says seven, I know, but one word. Love, right? That fulfills the true purpose and meaning of the law. Uh, to love each other as Christ loved us. 
And you see, true love can never be forced. Uh, we cannot be made to love. If it's true love, it must be given freely out of our own choice. And it's ironic here that Paul says we have been set free in order to serve each other, literally to be slaves to each other. But it's a, it's a free choice that we make, right? God doesn't make us serve. He calls us to serve and to love each other uh, freely. Um, because that's, that's the backdrop. So I want, what I want you to see here is Paul's talking about living a whole kind of lifestyle. Right? A lifestyle that's lived out in the carnal desires of the flesh. Or a lifestyle that's lived out under the obligations and duties of the law. Um, so what does all this have to do with the Spirit or being led by the Spirit? Well, he continues on after verse 15. He says in verse 16, I say after all this, he says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so he's talking here about living a different kind of lifestyle. One that's neither under the flesh, which we get is you know, a problem, but neither is it under the law. Neither is it living a life of moral duties and obligations. Because that easily slips into just being very self-centered and self-righteous. Um, so, so let me make three observations about what he means by these in these verses here. Uh, first, God, uh, the Holy Spirit is not a holy Google map, right? He's not talking here about um, coming to some crossroads in life and and deciding at that moment, oh, I, I think I'd like to find out what God wants me to do. Maybe I'll pray and trust the Holy Spirit to lead me, right? It's not like that. Uh, what, what he is talking about here, walking in the Spirit is a lifestyle that is all-encompassing. Right? If you've been going along, doing your own thing, setting your own course, making your own decisions, all of a sudden you come to a fork in the road where you decide, well, I think I need God's help with this one. You are not walking by the Spirit right, at all. And the reality is that you probably are not going to have the capacity to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. What you're going to hear is what you want to hear. And what you're going to hear is the flesh telling you what, what, what appeals to your flesh. Get out of Texas, for example. <laughs> Except for Darren. Um, but he's in Thailand, so, you know, how did you get here? Um, it's an all-encompassing way of living. And to walk in the, in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, means we adopt a whole new worldview and philosophy about life that works itself out in, in our daily activities all day long, not just in big major decisions. Um, and you see this with the prodigal son. He had a very clear philosophy about what would make, bring him joy, and he lived out his life according to those thoughts and that philosophy. Right? He pursued a very intentional course of action. Uh, he didn't just all of a sudden come to a crossroads and say, hmm, I wonder what would be better to go off and take my father's inheritance and live you know, want in life or get a job, right? Now, he knew because of the worldview that was shaping him. Same way with the older brother. There was a worldview that determined his whole life and influenced every decision he made along the way. And Paul says to be walking by the Spirit and led by the Spirit is to be so influenced by the Holy Spirit that he is shaping how you live out every part of your life, every tiny little decision is being moved and directed by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> um, he, he uses the word to walk by the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit. And that's a, an important word there, to be led. Right? To be led by something means you're not in control or in charge anymore. It means you've handed over the steering wheel of your life to somebody else. See, what we want is we want to drive. We want to be in the driver's seat. We want to be in control. We want to be the one who steers. But we just want kind of hints and tips along the way. But that's not what God wants. To be led by the Holy Spirit means we don't drive anymore. We give Him full control of the steering wheel. And we follow Him. 
And so to walk in the Spirit, to be led by Him, requires of us that we surrender our own life and will and agenda and control over to the Spirit in everything. Right? In everything. It is an entire lifestyle. And which I must give up my own self and self-interest and selfish pursuits. Um, it is not just hoping God will help me out along the way as I pursue my own selfish ambition. It is giving control of my life to God and pursuing His purpose and His plan for my life. Um, Now, most of us uh, hear this um, and we assume that, well, yeah, I have let the Holy Spirit take control. Um, surely I must be doing this because I'm not living in the flesh, right? I'm not the prodigal. I'm not, you know, involved in this, this horrible lifestyle. I'm a good person. I must be doing this, right? I must be walking by the Spirit because look at my lifestyle. I'm a good, moral, upstanding person. And this is where it gets, it gets difficult, right? Because you can't really tell from the outside if a person is being led by the Spirit or they're under the law. Because uh, on the surface, they can both look a lot the same. But here's the difference. Paul says that if we're keeping the law versus walking by the Spirit, it will work its way out in, in the works of the flesh. Because what Paul argues here is that living by the law is ultimately a work of the flesh. That's his point. And he, he says these are the, these are the works of the works, the outcome of living in the flesh. And I love his list. It's one of several lists in the Bible of all the vices and things that you can do bad and wrong and sin, right? And what he does is he brackets this very long list of, I think, 14 things um, at the beginning and the end by, by product, what I would call prodigal sins, like really out there living in the flesh kinds of sins. So he starts off with sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality, right? We look at that list and we go, ooh, this list is not for me. I'm clearly in a different list because I don't do those things, right? I'm not sleeping with prostitutes. I'm not looking for all kinds of girls. I'm not a sensual person, right? I, I don't do that, right? And then just to, to cap it off, at the end, he brackets the very end with two more very prodigal sins, drunkenness and wild parties, Right? And like for me, a wild party is staying up past 8.30 and drinking Sprite, you know. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm good on that one. I'm not doing wild parties, right? I'm not getting drunk. It's not me, right? And we skip the middle seven things, right? Because we think, ah, this is the prodigal stuff, right? But notice the middle seven. Um, he says, also, the works of the flesh are enmity, which means... Hostility towards others. Strife. Which means not getting along with people. Jealousy. Uh, wanting what other people have for ourselves. Fits of anger. An idea here is somebody who's hot-tempered. Who there's, there's these flashes of anger that come up. Like they're one minute, one minute. All of a sudden, boom, they're angry. Um, rivalries. You know, people are competitive. They're always competing against who's the best, right? Um dissensions, people who can't get along, they're fighting and are arguing all the time, divisions, people who not only are fighting get along, but as a result of their fighting, they separate out into different groups or denominations. <laughs> Envy, right? people who really want what other people have. Um, these are descriptions of things that are the sins of the law keeper. <coughs> You can be a good person and be guilty of every one of these. Right? Because these are a lot more socially acceptable. Um, how many times have you been involved or you heard Christians debating over theology with absolute animosity and hostility towards each other? Right? Who are cruel and say the most horrible things because they're defending doctrine. Right? And so because I'm defending doctrine, I have a right to have enmity towards somebody else. It's a work of the flesh. Okay, Paul says it's just a work of the flesh because you're living under the law and, and you're seeing the works of the law produced in you, not the work of the Spirit. 
um, how many church plants are really just the result of dissensions and divisions, right? Right? There's, there's new churches popping up all the time. How many of them are popping up because of some church split? Because people couldn't get along. In the name of Jesus, right? that's a work of the flesh, Paul says. Among law-abiding people. Uh, how many churches and ministries are in a totally ungodly rivalry with each other? Where there's competition and there's tearing each other down because we're trying to prove who's better. Um, in, in the missions world, you see this with people competing over which method is the best. I, lo- I just love this. Like, like my method to share Jesus is clearly, clearly superior to your method to share Jesus. You're, you're an idiot for having that method to share Jesus. What's wrong with you? Where does that come from, right? Well, it comes from the flesh. It comes from the flesh. We have flashes of rage and anger, and we feel justified in it because we're right and the other person's wrong. See, these are all pictures of the lawkeeper, and it's great. When you look back at the story of the prodigal son, uh, a lot of these attitudes are, are very evident and visible in the elder brother, who's angry, who's jealous, who's envious, who's filled with divisions and strife. Right? And you see, being led by the Spirit is, is something completely different. It's a path that you cannot get to by keeping the law, by trying to keep a moral code on your own. Um, he is talking about something very different. Um, third, third observation I want to make here is that it's, a, it's an all or... N- it's a second observation, okay, so. This is an all-or-nothing thing. Um, the only way we can have a, a life of walking in the Spirit is we have to be either all in or all out. Um, and, and this kind of gets people sometimes because they think, um, they don't understand that the, to, to adopt this lifestyle, it has to un- encompass everything we are about. Now, does this mean that if we're walking in the Spirit, we'll never stumble or mess up or walk in the flesh? Well, we all know this isn't true, Right? My hope and guess is that most of us are wanting to walk in the Spirit, trying to walk by the Spirit, trying to be led by Him. And we all know what it's like to let the flesh get in, in control. And we stumble, we slip, we fall. Um, but what it means is this. If you are walking by the Spirit, all of life is being moved and controlled and empowered by the Spirit. So you can't be led by the Spirit in this area of your life and not be led by the Spirit in this area of life. It's kind of an all or nothing thing. Either He's leading you and you and all of your life are, are walking in His will and purpose or you're living by the flesh or the law. Um, and, and Paul puts it this way. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are incompatible. They're opposed to each other, he says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The thing is, one is a controller of the other, not both. And so you're either being led by the flesh into the things of the flesh, or you're being led by the Spirit into the things of the Spirit. There's no mixing it up. Like, well, I'm mostly walking by the, by the Spirit, but I just have this one area where the flesh kind of gets me. Paul says, no, it, the, the flesh keeps you, it prevents you from doing the things you want to do, the things you know are right. The only way to get there is to live fully by the Spirit. Um, so when we... When we let the flesh even a little bit in even a little bit, it takes over our actions, attitudes, and thoughts. And we are walking in the flesh in that moment. And until we confess that and, and acknowledge that and, and turn away from that and turn back towards the life of the Spirit, letting Him lead, right, we are in the flesh. The good news is we can go back and forth pretty quick, right? Uh, thankfully. Uh, I mean, it's not thankful that we can go from the flesh, from the Spirit to the flesh quickly. That's a problem. Uh, but it, thankfully, when we realize, oh man, I'm walking in the flesh, it's an easy thing to, to switch back to the Spirit. Right? If we admit our sin and confess and realize, man, this is not the path. I need, I need to go back, put my life back under the direction and control of the Spirit. And He empowers us to make that switch and to start walking uh, in His power again. Uh, third thing, uh, what He's talking here is not about living a life that is lawless, but law-fulfilling. Uh, and this is kind of what throws us off, right? 
he's not saying here that that you can do whatever you want, that you can live a prodigal life because by grace you're forgiven. That's not what he's saying. He says he says this: the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things, against such things, there is no law. What, what does he mean by that? Well, he means that, uh, first of all, this is not an exhaustive list. Okay? These, there, there are other fruits of the Spirit. But in the context of, of relationship problems that were apparently going on in Galatians, Galatia, this, this list was appropriate. Right? They needed kindness instead of strife. They needed um, patience instead of jealousy and hostility. They needed gentleness and self-control instead of divisions and dissensions. But what I love is here he says, he says, against us there is no law. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, I think what he means is this, that, that this is the ultimate fulfillment of the law. When you love people like this, you are fulfilling the highest and greatest purpose of the law. And there's, there's no set of rules that can get you there more than living by the Spirit. In fact, Paul would say that the list of rules are a distraction and don't work. The only way to love people like this is, uh, you know, is to, and to love people the way God loved us is to be selfless, to be unselfish. And you cannot do that without living by the Spirit. Because that's really our battle. It's not keeping a set of rules. Our battle is who's in Who's in charge? Right, that's the battle. Am I in charge of my own life? Because what we what we want to do is we, we read this this list of the of the fruit of the spirit. We go, boy, the Bible says I need to have more love. I need to have more joy. I need to have more peace and patience. I can do this, right? And so we go out and we get in a fight with our spouse or something happens to us. We go, oh, I can do this, right? I'm going to be patient. And so we try to be patient. We try to do it in our own strength. But when we do that. We're in control and we're actually trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit by the flesh. And it works for about three minutes. <laughs> and then we forget, you know, the day goes by and we forget, like we're supposed to be trying hard at this and what happens? Wham! Find ourselves just messing up right and left. So it's only possible to fulfill God's love perfectly through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. And, against, and, and in light of that, there is no law. There is no set of rules that we need. What we need is a life of surrender to the leading and directing of the Holy Spirit. So how do we, how do we apply this to everyday life? What does this really look like in your everyday struggle with sin and the flesh and the law? How do you live out this, this, this walking in the Spirit? Let me give you a couple, what I hope are practical steps or thoughts anyway. Uh, about how this can work. First of all, uh, in this section, Paul gives one command. We talked last week about Greek verbs. It's very, he gives one imperative command to walk in the Spirit. All the rest of it is what we call indicative, just, just statements of fact. And one of the things we can learn from this passage is that what Paul is mostly describing is not something we do, but he's describing a new reality that's available to us. There's this whole new reality that happened because of the cross. He says in verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ, so those who are Christians, those who put their faith in Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is not a command. He's not saying you need to do this. He's saying it's been done. Right? It's been done. We have crucified somehow, and I don't understand how this works, but somehow when we put our faith in Jesus, Something of us was crucified with Jesus on the cross. And it has set us free from the, from the control of the passions and desires of the flesh. It's a new reality for us. It's a new way to live life that's available to us that was not available before. Um, but of course, the fact that the reality is there doesn't mean that we necessarily automatically walk in it. Right? Jesus did something on the cross that changed the world for us. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit has come into our life and He's changed the world for us in a way that we have a power to live life like we never did before. 
It's a new reality for us. But we have to decide that we're going to walk in that reality. Because the, the truth is, we can still live in the flesh. Because we're free to do that. Right? That's part of what freedom means, is we get to choose now to live under the flesh or the law or the Spirit. Um, second thing, committing to this new lifestyle does not mean we just try harder to be good. It's so important to keep this in mind. Um, at the root of it is giving control of our life over to the Holy Spirit. To really let Him direct us um, in, in every area. Because um, as I said, He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing these things. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So for us, the challenge is to know how to be led by the Spirit, to be um, not trying harder, but to be living in His power and by His leading and with His help. Uh, so, so the third thing is um, understanding that in some sense it is a battle. And in all battles, there's a strategic point where we need to like gear up and, and do our, our hardest fighting. And, and this is where a lot of us get in trouble, at least for me. This is where, where I get in trouble. Um, we know that sin is, is a battle. And we all know the things in our flesh, the things that we struggle with, the things that we desire, the things that trigger and trip us, and we know, oh man, I just totally went into the fl flesh mode. Right? We know those. And, and all of us have probably experienced the, that battle. Right? You come to this point where, you know, the flesh is, is urging you to do something and you know it's wrong and you know you shouldn't do it, but you're battling against it. And uh, you, maybe you pray, maybe you, you know, try to do this Holy Spirit thing, but you fall, right? You just do the wrong thing. You know it's wrong, you know you shouldn't do it, you know it's, it's dishonoring and it's damaging to your life, but you just do it anyway. You think, man, what happened? I, I was trying to fight the battle, I was trying to overcome sin, and it just seems so hard... And I, I don't know how to win. Um, and, and you wonder, can the Holy Spirit really help overcome? It seems like He wasn't there. right? Well, the Holy Spirit wants to help us overcome. But there's a strategic time in the battle when victory is either won or lost. And here's the thing. If you are facing the battle at the point of action, and what I mean is you're at the place in, in this temptation where you're being tempted to do something, and that temptation is just overwhelming, right? If you're at that point, you probably missed the strategic point in the battle, right? It was probably like several battles ago. And at this point, it is very difficult. It's not impossible, but very difficult to win. Uh, we want to battle at the point of action. But the real place where we need to start fighting the battle is way back before that at the place of thought, and attitude. Because reality is, most of us don't get to the point of being tempted to action, like just out of nowhere. It comes from thoughts way, 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 way back that are just lying there. Uh, and the problem is that, uh, that these thoughts and these attitudes are very subtle. Because here's an example. Well, two examples. You know, you get this, this what we call impulse of the flesh, this impulse to sin. It just comes, boom, out of nowhere. This thought comes into your mind, or this feeling comes into your mind, and maybe some beautiful girl walks by wearing, you know, not nearly enough clothes, and this sin impulse says to me, "Tim, you should go have sex with that girl." Right? That's this impulse, right? And uh, and I have to battle that. Now it works that way sometimes, but honestly, it's oftentimes much more subtle than that, and the impulses are much more under the surface, and it goes more like this, uh, Tim. You've been working really hard, and you deserve a break. Poor Tim. Poor Tim, right? I feel sorry for him. Tim, look how important you are. What would the do world do without you? Amen. What would the world do without me? Um, Tim, you're running late, and that makes you the most important person on the road right now. You know, where's your lights and siren and police escort when you need it? Right? Now, these things are just really subtle. And they're not blatantly sinful. Right? They seem like, they seem like good ideas to me. 
right? And they kind of float under there, right? And they lurk under there. Do these thoughts come from the Spirit? Well, no. They are from the flesh. And, and how do we know? Here's how we know. Because these thoughts are all about me. Right? They are centered on what I need and what I want. They are of the flesh. Right? Maybe it's even a law-centered you know, wish. Well, look, Tim, how, what a good person you are. Like, what you deserve. You look, you're just you're an upstanding person. You deserve, you deserve better, Tim. Really, you do. Right? It's all about me. And the problem is that <coughs> they are so deep and subtle that we're often not aware of them. And if, if they're unchecked, they begin to shape our worldview and our philosophy about life. We start feeling, I think I do deserve something. I think I am more important than what other people respect me. I deserve some respect and honor here. Right? And it's subtle and it creeps in and we're not aware of it. And it, it grows from an idea into an attitude. And pretty soon we find ourselves with this, with this attitude. And again, it's not blatantly sinful. It's not go out and sleep with some girl. It's, no, Tim, you know, you, you're not getting your respect in the world. You're not, people are not paying attention to you enough. People are not honoring you enough. But under, underneath it is this idea that my worth and my significance, my, my joy comes from me getting what I want. And that's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. But joy in that is it means joy in being God's child. It means joy in serving Him. It means joy in loving others. But that's not what we're thinking. So then what happens is, is we're getting set up for the fall. Because then, after this, this, this thought grows and ferments and foams and gets a life of its own and becomes an attitude that we carry around with us, then all of a sudden... Uh, a thought comes along and you see sin is crouching at the door. We've been oblivious to, it, oblivious to it. And somebody comes along and they say something or they do something and instantly we feel this impulse to rage, to anger, to strife, to dissensions. Right? And we go, man, I don't understand how I just lost my cool and I just, just yelled at that person. What happened? It's because we're not aware of way, way back, we were not being led by the Spirit. We have not been pursuing His lifestyle of giving and loving and serving. Of living for God's glory and for other people's good, not my own. I haven't been laying down self and letting Him take control. I've been subtly letting self have authority and control and rule. So here's a practical example from my own life how this works. Yesterday I was driving home after the uh, <coughs> the uh, cookout uh, with the community, with the, the church communities. Great time there, and I'm driving back, and you know traffic is just horrible. And I come to this place where it's just stop. Traffic's just stopped, not going anywhere, and you know so it's testing my patience a little. But I'm thinking you know, I can do this. I can be patient. I'm supposed to be patient. I'm preaching on this tomorrow. Got to be patient, right? So, waiting, waiting, and, and uh, the, the, the road goes from kind of two lanes down to one lane with a shoulder down to just one tiny lane, right? And we're just crawling along. And all of a sudden, up out of the side in this place where there's, there's no shoulder, much less a place for a car, this, this van, this silver crazy van driver, pulls up beside me, and he gets to the point of the road where he just can't go anymore, and he's got to stop because he's trying to pass everybody on this place where it's impossible. I don't even know how he got that far. And boom, he's just right there, and he clearly wants to just, like, cut in where I am. Ooh, ooh, he picked the wrong guy to cut in on, right? I mean, he is so close to me, our mirrors are touching. I could roll down my window and just punch the guy in the face, which, at this point, is really tempting. And I'm getting all kinds of impulses, and none of them are like peace, blood, joy, patience. They're like, I'm going to show this guy what an idiot he is, right? Because he needs to learn a lesson. And I'm the most important person on the road. Doesn't he know that? Doesn't he know I have busy plans? What's he doing? He's, he's, he's insulting me. Right? I feel it as a personal attack. Right? Now, thankfully, I, I, I recognize this, this is a sinful impulse. And I did not do most of the things that I wanted to. I only did a couple. Right? Um, 
But see, all that, all that didn't just happen in that one second. All that had a history behind it of, you know, was I really laying down my life? Was I really living in an attitude of serving? Because if I had been sitting in that line, you know, really being led by the Spirit, really saying, God, you're in control, you know, you're in control of this. I don't have to worry about this traffic jam. I'm not late. I'm in your time. Right? And, and I, I can spend this time praying. I can spend this time praising you. I want to let the Holy Spirit take me and lead me in this time. I wasn't doing that. And, and uh, I'm thinking how, you know, I'm trying not to be impatient. I'm trying to live out the law. I'm trying not to be impatient. Right? But I'm really not being led by the Spirit. And boom. One little thing happens and man, I am in the flesh. Right? So thankfully, I, I, you know, I, I recognize it and I say, God, I don't want to live this way. I want you to be led by your Spirit. I think that's how it goes with us. Do do we want a lifestyle that is characterized by love and joy in spite of circumstances? And peace, right? Peace with people, peace in our own life, despite the turmoil going on around us. And and patience and kindness and gentleness, right? Do we want these to be the things that characterize our life? Well, I know we all want that. You can't make those things happen in your life. Only the Holy Spirit can produce their fruit. Only the Holy Spirit can produce those things in your life. And the only way to do that is to lay it down. Lay down your life and say, God, I don't want to be running my life anymore. I lay it down and I want my life to be a lifestyle in your kingdom. A lifestyle where I am living for the purpose of loving others and serving others, no matter how sacrificial, no matter how difficult, I want this to be the thing that characterizes my life. And the thing is, life will get a whole lot easier because when the guy cuts you off, you're going to be going, oh, this is awesome. I get a chance to serve this guy. I'm going to just back off and let this guy pull in, and I'm going to bless this guy by letting him take my place in line. Right? And all of a sudden, there's peace and there's joy because you're going, man, I just am thankful. I get to be a servant to a guy who's such a loser. Right? <laughs> well, maybe you don't think that. That's the, that's the life that, that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. But this guy care about our big decisions? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm telling you, if you have walked down this path, if you are walking down this path, when you come to those big life decisions, it's going to be easy to know. Right? Because you moment by moment have been led and you got to this place because God brought you there. And you can have confidence that He is leading each step of the way. No matter what obstacles are in the way, you know God's in control. I don't have to worry. I don't have to freak out. I can have peace because God's leading me. And I know it because I'm surrendered to Him in the little things as well as the big. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.